Hey everybody, The Talking Book is a non-profit audiobook recording studio in Asheville, North Carolina. If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org, that's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville, we record books in a booth, here's the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Talking Book Podcast. My name is Chris Hartram, and you're here to listen to the best new writers reading from their work. Today is Friday, and I've been playing Nintendo with my son. Danny made pancakes with spinach and bananas in the batter for added nutrition. Um, those were really good. We also had fried eggs. What do you eat for breakfast? Please write me uh, with what you uh, had for breakfast when you listen to this. You'll probably listen to it after I'm recording it, which makes sense. Hear it, then write me. Tell me what you had for breakfast. I'm always very interested in how people eat. Um, performance versus pleasure and the overlap. Does that make sense? Recently, I read about Marilyn Monroe's diet. She ate a liquid breakfast consisting of two raw eggs poured into a glass of warm milk. I love that. It's probably disgusting, but it sounds so comforting and nice when I say it or when I read it. Apparently for dinner she had uh, either steak, liver, or lamb chops, and on the side she would eat raw carrots. Marilyn Monroe. That's what she ate. Isn't that nice to think about? Jordan Castro, um, uh, the writer and editor, brought that to my attention. Thank you, Jordan, for that. Uh, anyway, today I'm honored to introduce a reading by Blake Wallen. Blake is a poet, playwright, novelist, and their new book, Papal Glow, is forthcoming from Maudlin House. Uh, it's going to be out on September 15th. So please listen to this reading by Blake Wallen, and then go get the book at papalglow.maudlinhouse.net. Here's the reading. Please enjoy. Papal Glow by Blake Wallen, Part 3, Section 8 Mr. Livery bumbled into Aggie's view, gradually coming into focus between the bars of her cell. I'm afraid, he began, but paused for a moment, I'm afraid I'm the bearer of bad news. Aggie's heart sank down into a spot just below the barracks of where she was sitting, until she realized that his bad news perhaps meant good news, at least for her. It seems there is a lawyer able to help you. He has learned of your predicament from the student newspaper of Oxford University, of all places. He seems keen on seeing that you get out of here. Aggie's mind almost leapt out of its socket, screaming the praises of this unknown man. The only catch is that he's not quite a lawyer yet, laughed Livery, but I suppose, unfortunately, that he's working on it. Quick question, said Aggie. Y yes? Do you get off on these visits? Whatever do you mean, plush livery. I mean, like, sexually. Does it get you randy? The thought of you in a cell fills me with nothing but either contempt or deep satisfaction. Well then, said Aggie back, case closed. I hope you rot in here, said Mr. Livery between newly clenched teeth. Not if this dashing lawyer has anything to say about it. I never said he was dashing. You didn't need to. I filled in the blank. Well, that won't be the only blank getting filled. Oh, Christ, what did you say to me, screamed Aggie. I didn't say anything, replied a shocked livery. You said that wouldn't be the only blank getting filled, yeah? Mother Mary of Jesus Christ himself, no. Then who is that, she said loudly. 
Aggie clutched her head as Mr. Livery looked on in horror. She started laughing uncontrollably and began to look up into the sky beyond the ceiling of the cramped cell she was in. In the sky, she saw a production of Much Ado About Nothing being put on, and a very handsome man playing Benedict somewhere in Act Two. Do you feel it yet? came a thought that was not her own. She looked to the side of the cell to see beyond the vision, but could not. She looked to the other side and still found no luck. When she turned back to the cell's front, she saw the figure of Mr. Livery bounding away from the cell and, and down the hall. He was screaming something about witchcraft and the occult and trials and due process, but she couldn't make out exactly what he was yelling. The only thing in her head right now was Shakespeare and someone's narration of it. <clears throat> Liza was at the Globe Theater and thinking quite possibly the dirtiest imaginable thoughts of her life with regards to the man playing Benedict in front of her. She was standing up and almost lost her balance when the actor joined the procession, and she lost track of most of his dialogue with Claudio, which seemed important to the play. Her thoughts of fucking him every which way till kingdom come, or till she came, assailed her vision and clouded her judgment so finely that she felt drunk. She had resisted temptation for so long in her life that her, this first thought of going against her self-assigned regimen made her whole body weak and made her thoughts scream so loudly she thought they were going out of her own head. She tried grabbing her head and singing herself the quietest lullaby, but to no avail. She was able to resist attracting too much attention to herself, and she took solace in this until a voice entered her head. Do you see what I see? The voice sang. Oh God, am I going crazy? Liza thought. A man, a man shining in a play with a bulge as big as the day. With a bulge as big as the day. Liza started laughing uproariously until the voice continued, but more desperately. Get me out of here, Liza. Who are you? Who's the man playing Benedict? That doesn't matter right now. That's a lie, but only for you, so I'll let it slide. I'm Aggie, of course. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Yes, for now at least. Keep your eyes focused throughout the play. Help the lawyer free me from this godforsaken place. How on earth will I do that? I don't know who he is. You'll know when the time comes. Liza stopped hearing Aggie's voice just as the piercing sting ran through her spine and then her head, and she jolted her head up towards the sky, where at first she saw the clouds, and then she saw a prison cell filled with mice examining crevices and, and a hand in front of her face that wasn't her own, writing a note. The note ended up saying, until we meet in person, but it's act three now, lawyer, Benedict, not Dogberry. Liza snapped out of it in time to see the actor who played Dogberry enter the scene. She moved her hand in front of her face and then pinched herself to make sure she was out of her stupor before she saw the man on the stage. His back was turned when the scene opened, but as soon as he turned around, she knew the expression from anywhere, the glass lips, the foibles, the knowing air. He licked his lips and then found her eyes and locked onto them as he recited his lines. Even when he moved about the stage, he kept looking at her like a spotlight was on her. She didn't want this. She didn't want any of this. She wanted the spotlight to be on the actor who played Benedict, like it was whenever he was on stage. Liza realized by the end of the play that Dogberry and Benedict are never in a scene together. But no, the spotlight was on her, as this deranged, glass-lipped psychopath made her the reluctant tourist to his Mona Lisa. She began to start looking down whenever Dogberry was on stage, but as Blintz delivered his last line as Dogberry, he finally seemed to turn his gaze away from Liza's eyes and made her wonder whether he had met her gaze at all during the course of the entire production. 
I leave an errant knave with your worship, which I besiege your worship to correct yourself for the example of others. God, keep your worship. I wish your worship well. God, restore you to health. I humbly give you leave to depart. And if a merry meeting may be wished, God, prohibit it. Come, neighbor. And with that, Blintz was gone. Behind the curtain backdrop and into the backstage area where the actor who played Benedict then entered from for the next scene. The spotlight was suddenly on the man who played Benedict again, but this time in full force, the force of her gaze summoning everything it took for her not to be lustful until she finally sighed and gave herself the benefit of where the fantasy was going anyway. By the time Benedict had given his final line and exited, Liza was sighing with relief at the newly finished fantasy, hoping it could come true, except for the fact that the man had gone backstage already and the play was over. Then, just before everybody filed out, a boy announced who the players were and singled out the guests who played. Blintz and the man playing Benedict, Gant. Blintz said he was delighted to be there, to play such an iconic role. Gant said he was just honored, as he was just planning on becoming a lawyer, almost was one in fact. Liza almost fainted. Thank you. Okay, there you are. Blake Wallen. New book from Maudlin House, Papal Glow. It's going to be out on September 15th. Please go get the book at papalglow.maudlinhouse.net. Thanks so much for the reading, Blake. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody who helps out with the talking book, the writers, the narrators, the editors, uh, the audio engineer, Dave. Dave Burr, ladies and gentlemen. Dave Burr. Give it up for Dave. Uh, Danny, my partner. And, uh, you know... And thanks for the music. All this badass music you hear on this show comes from uh, Alex Sturgis, Keegan Grambois, and Holler Boys, Chris Oxley, and Scott McClanahan. Thanks so much for that music. Without it, I'm just a dumbass with a microphone. But anyway, go get Papal Glow by Blake Wallen. Go to thetalkingbook.org. Check out what we're doing. We're recording books, indie lit. Uh, we're in Asheville, North Carolina. You can record your book with us if you want to make an audiobook. Or just hang out. Come have a beer. Come have a Coors Banquet, you know? Have a nice time. Or a cup of coffee. You don't have to have a beer. Whatever. But anyway, my name's Chris Hartram. Thanks so much. The talking book is a thing. Have a nice day. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit Before I knew that you were there Like an angel Who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit Before I knew The storm was passing over And the window